Are you confusing perfectionism with high standards? If so, you are not alone. Many of us are high achievers who take great pride in our work and want that work to be as high quality as possible. But there is a significant difference between aiming for excellence and trying to be perfect. My guest this week, Emily Sander, a former C-suite executive and now leadership coach, shares her journey with perfectionism and how it kept her from being the person and the leader she wanted to be. We also talk about strategies you can use to better manage perfectionism. Thank you so much, as always, for listening. Welcome to the Imposter Syndrome Files. My name is Kim Menninger, and as an executive coach and former high-tech leader, my personal mission is to help professionals overcome imposter syndrome so that you can advance your career with confidence. Each week, I interview a new guest who brings a powerful perspective to this conversation, including personal stories, best practices, and new insights. The more we talk about this issue, the more we destigmatize imposter syndrome, recognize that we're not alone, and empower ourselves to access the tools and resources that can help us and those around us. Thank you so much for listening and for sharing with others you think would benefit from this conversation. Welcome, Emily. I'm so excited to chat with you today, and I'd love to start by inviting you to introduce yourself. Yes, thank you so much, Kim. I was looking forward to this conversation, so thank you for having me on. Um, Yes, so quick intro. I am a former chief of staff turned executive leadership coach. So I had a whole big corporate career, and that spanned from places like Microsoft and Amazon um, fun fact, I was a tester for the original Kindle device at Amazon. That's my, that's my claim to fame there. Um, and then I worked for a series of small to medium uh, technology businesses. And that's where I led client-facing teams and, and cut my teeth into leadership. Um, and then several years ago, I moved over to my coaching practice full-time. And so now coach business professionals and uh, business leaders. But on top of that career trajectory, I would also tell you that I am a recovering perfectionist and uh, I was often, I was almost always the youngest and or least experienced in my group. So in any team or any certainly leadership team I was on, I was always, you know, the youngest. Sometimes I was the only uh, woman as well. And so if you stack all those things together, it's it's can be pretty intimidating. And so I certainly, certainly had to wrestle with the imposter syndrome on, I am literally decades younger than anyone at this table and everyone seemed so professional and they knew what they were doing and all these things. I had a healthy streak of perfectionism and I'm also an overthinker. So you stack all those things together and they compound and it was it was definitely a struggle, but I'm glad to say that through some, some reflection and pretty aggressive self-improvement, um, I'm I'm doing worlds better with that, and I actually coach people on on those types of topics today. So that's my story in a nutshell. Thank you for sharing that and those factors that you mentioned that all compound. That's like a perfect recipe for imposter syndrome. Oh my gosh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm curious about how you made the leap to coaching. Was there a particular event or moment when you thought, I don't want to do this anymore? Or were you drawn to coaching for some reason? Like, how did you make that leap? Yeah, that's a good question. I think I've, I was coaching before I knew what a coach was. So (laughs) in any role I had, 
and not necessarily leadership roles either. Just any role I had, I would be coaching uh, my peers or my team members or even sometimes my boss. And so I had the, that coach approach or those coaching elements always, always in whatever I was doing. And then once I figured out, oh my gosh, coaching is like a thing. You can go do that as a profession. I was like, here we go. Sign me up. What do I have to do? And so, of course, I went to get certified and went through all the training. But it's just something uh, so, someone the other day was saying, it's like you were built to be a coach. And I was like, oh, that's fitting. I just it's it's just it's just who I was anyway. And so then I found kind of the label and the and the framework or container for it. I love that way of describing it. I would think I think of myself very similarly. I actually see a lot of myself in your story too, because I grew up in the uh, high tech industry, but very early on in my career. And like you, I was often decades younger, often the only woman in the room, often questioning, how did I get here? Everyone else is <laughs> much smarter and more experienced. And then to have that sort of built in coaching uh, approach, right? And and I had the same thought, like, oh, this is a thing. Right? Yeah, totally. I can remember when I first started reflecting on, you know, what's not working about my career right now? What do I what do I wish I were doing? I remember thinking, like, gosh, I really wish I could be paid to do, to offer support and <laughs> guidance and, and and then when someone said coaching, I'm like that's it. <laughs> yes. I, it, it's, it's funny because I literally was sitting, sitting there going, what are my favorite parts of all of these corporate careers, all these different roles I've held? And it was the coaching aspects, right? Like the guiding, mentoring, coaching aspects. And I thought, you know what, Emily, if you can wake up and do nothing but your favorite part of the day all day long, you'll never work a day in your life, right? So like that whole thing. And I was like, put this stuff together, Em, here we go. <laughs> Exactly. And can we talk a little bit about your perfectionism? Because perfectionism is such an epidemic, I think, especially across many women. Uh, how did it show up for you? And what were some of the downsides of it? Like, Because I, I think too often we don't treat perfectionism with the seriousness that it deserves. I think we joke about it. We kind of wear it as a badge of honor sometimes. But perfectionism it is really serious and it can be very disruptive. And so I'm curious how it showed up for you and how you think about your relationship to it now that you're recovering perfection. <laughs> yes. I mean, in its worst state, it was um, my greatest fear. And it was like a visceral, just deep fear was being wrong in front of people. So being found out in front of people or making a mistake in front of, you know, this leadership group that we just talked about, which was very experienced, professional, um, that was just like the end of the world to me. It was something where um, if I if I misspoke or didn't or, you know, God forbid, get like an actual data point wrong or, or fact wrong. But even if I just didn't deliver it in a way that I thought was the perfect way or the most effective way to do that. I would just literally just get an adrenaline rush and start sweating and just have my heart would start beating. I could hear my heartbeat in my ears, which I'm not a doctor, but it's probably not a good thing. And then afterward, I would ruminate on that and I would play it back over and over and over again for hours, days, and sometimes weeks. It would just get a hook in my, in my brain and I would go on that hamster wheel and run really, really hard for a long time. And of course, that, um, 
isn't good for me. I wasn't showing up well to other people. I was still doing my job and getting things done. I was high functioning in that in that sense, but it was uh, it was just something that that stuck with me. And so I think my certainly the way I showed up in those meetings wasn't as good as if I didn't have that. And my time and energy, oh, it sucked so much energy out of me, just just a drain after I'd have those kind of incidents or, or events, um, it would be, it would be like a, a, a bomb going off and I had to kind of let things settle uh, before I could recover. Mm. I can feel like in my body what you're saying, because I know it so well. And I bet the vast majority of people listening right now can relate to that as well. And I think it's worth talking about for a moment, the difference between perfectionism and having high standards for yourself, Mm, because I think that is where some of the confusion lies. It's like, we, we almost think that if we're not perfectionists, that we're going to get lazy or complacent, or we're not going to work as hard. And so how do you think about giving up perfectionism, but still feeling like you're achieving and still, still, you know, for your goals. And I think that's a really important point to make because the way I see it, it's striving for excellence and being a person of excellence is a huge advantage and is a value that I hold. And so when I was kind of trying to figure out, okay, I know I don't want the perfectionism, but I really, really don't want to give up, you know, trying to do a good job and going above and beyond and being impressive and all these different things, being ambitious. It was, okay, um, that part of it serves me well. So having high standards is fine. If you're, if you're wanting high standards for um, your team members and them having a really good place to work and then being able to grow and learn and having high standards for that, having high standards for our customers. Like I don't want to just, you know, skate by, on the lowest, you know, what's the least amount we can do. I want to serve our customers to the highest degree and have them go, wow, it's so good working with that team or it's so, it's so easy working with that company. And so I think there it's, uh, that is an advantage and a positive thing where it gets tricky is if you take that too far and it becomes a double-edged sword. So with almost any strength, right? If you take it too far, it'll turn against you and actually work against you. And so I was, I I believe I was operating at the extreme of that spectrum. Um, And it was absolutely just, it was like, uh, it was like in Lord of the Rings where like Gollum is just like this corrupted kind of, oh, it went to the dark side. So, so the Jedi, maybe it's using the force for the good side and the light. And then you can absolutely have that same energy and have those same elements working against you or or possessing you and that's the dark side or Darth Vader whatever whatever analogy you want to use but that's kind of how I look at it yeah I think that's a really good way to think about it too and that is I think part of the complexity of the experience is that part of the reason why we feel the way we do is because we are high achieving because we care because we want to be as effective as possible and of max, you know, contribute in the maximum way possible. But how do we get there without all the pain, right? Because it's mm-hmm. so painful what you're describing, the the physiological response, the, I don't know about you, but, you know, waking up at two in the morning and thinking, yeah. I can't believe I said that. <laughs> <laughs> 
So what has your journey looked like to move away from some of that? Yeah. I mean, I think the first thing was I can't keep doing this. Like literally, like I ca- I cannot keep this up. This is not a sustainable situation. Um, and the, the, the second piece was realizing that when I was, when I was going after perfection, which by the way, doesn't exist. So let's just get that out there. Like there is no such thing as perfect anyway. Once I realized, oh, um, this is, this is going to kill me. Um, there's, this is a losing battle. There's no such thing as perfect. You're always setting yourself up for failure when you say perfection is my goal. And, and I wasn't as effective nor efficient or the type of leader I really wanted to be if I was in that mode. So when we talk about having high standards and doing good for the people around us and being impressive, going after perfection actually hinders that. And so when you say, okay, let me, let me find this, this kind of mix or balance of, um, I, I want to have, uh, a good, a good lens and going after things with, I want to do well or above average, but then knowing that, you know, staying in that sweet spot of if I try too hard. So if I, so let me, let me give an actual example. So I would work extremely long hours, right? So I'm like, the harder you work, the more perfect you'll be. (laughs) And so I would work, you know, easily 12, 14 hour days. And in that there was a point of diminishing returns. So there was a point of, Emily, you can work four or five more hours, but the quality of work you're doing is not, is not high. And so like the amount, like technically you're getting more done, but, but not as much as you could as if, as if you went back home, rested, took your mind off work for a while, and then came back in the morning with, you know, fresh brain, fresh ideas, like good night of sleep and all these things, you would actually not only get more done, in the long term, it would also be higher quality work. And so once I started putting those things together, I was like, oh, okay, I'm playing a bigger game now. I see this from a greater vantage point, and I want to I want to play that game and get really good at uh, at that game, not running on the hamster wheel and trying to please everyone and trying to work as long as I as I could to prove to people I was a hard worker. It was no, I actually want to be more centered and grounded in myself and know who I am and what I'm about. And then, and then, and what I'm about is a person of excellence and then just let that exude from you. So if you are, if you are focusing on that part of it, instead of external pieces, you know, instead of who do I have to please, you know, who do I have to be to attract the right people and the right outcomes and things. Once I, once I unlock that, it was just, you just need to be, you need to, to show up and it just kind of exudes uh, from you. I love everything that you just said. And I really want to, I, I really want to stick on this point of perfectionism hindering what you're actually trying to accomplish, right? Because I think you, you make such a great point that we think, oh, I'll just keep working longer hours. I will just keep doing more and more. But as we all know, our brains are not capable of sustaining that level of performance at an optimal level for for that period of time. And so it actually becomes counterproductive in a way that we may not recognize. And what you're making me think about is you're describing the value around excellence, right? And what I think is happening with perfectionism is that it becomes not about excellence. It becomes about 
protecting ourselves from the fear of something yes catastrophic happening right so they're not actually in alignment it's and when you describe that physiological response that kicks in when you're worried about getting it wrong you're actually more likely to make a mistake oh of course yeah state right and so it's it's actually undermining your effectiveness overall and so it comes down to the motivation right am i doing this because I'm motivated by making a a bigger contribution. I want to make a bigger impact. I want to be of service in some way. And this this is something that I really care about. Or am I motivated by fear? Am I motivated by loss of some sort? Yes. And I love that. I mean, service is another one of my values. So I wanted to be a good leader. I wanted to be the best leader. I was sometimes, I, I was for sure, unsure of myself. And I had to prove myself to my team, even that I I was a good leader and wanted to be there. And I think what you said about the state that you're operating out of is so important. So, you know, just like you said, when I was in those moments of adrenaline rush and, you know, sweating and just like clammy hands, of course, I'm not making good decisions. I'm like in my reptilian brain trying to survive and like fend off the, you know, mammoth or the, you know, warring tribe or whatever. So of course, I'm in survival mode. I'm not thinking clearly and I don't have that creative resourcefulness I need. Um, and so it might be something like, you know, what, you know, what's my headspace or what state am I operating out of or what type of energy do I have? So, oh, I'm, I'm in a protective mode. I'm kind of like in a defensive crouch position, uh, mentally or physically. Um, and then instead of that, can I get to a place where, um, again, I'm grounded in myself. I know what I'm about. I know what I want to achieve. And I want, I want to put myself and my team in position for good outcomes, like give, give us the highest probability for good outcomes, but also knowing that sometimes, or a lot of the time, things are just outside your control. You can't, you cannot control everything. And that was a big one for me too. I thought, oh, if I just, if I just try hard or think of all the contingency plans, I can control these. And it's like, Emily, there are 7 billion people on the planet and so many different events and factors. The fact that you think you can control that is not only laughable, it's pretty arrogant of you. And so just, you know, check yourself before you wreck yourself here and say, here's my little, you know, sphere of influence. And whatever I can control in that, um, I want to take ownership of and responsibility for, but I'm not going to start taking responsibility for everyone around me and for the rest of the world. That's just not, that's just not my place. I love that sort of acknowledgement and it's kind of liberating in a sense to be able to say, it's just not possible. So, you know, here's, you're, you're unrealistic in your expectations, but it actually makes me think too about I don't think academia does a good job of preparing for us for this because in academia, perfection is kind of possible, right? You can get a 4.0 or more by working hard. You do have all of the, you don't have to do the kind of contingency planning because everything you're going to be tested on is transparent, right? You're not going to get a question out of left field. You're not going to have that person that's showboating in the meeting that's going to, you know, sideswipe you with a with something, right? Like you can control more of your experience when you are in school. And I think that gives us this illusion of control heading into the workplace. And if we're not mindful, and this is not something we're taught, it's not something that ever gets explicitly discussed, at least as far as my own experience went, 
that you you get stuck in that pattern and and you just assume oh those same habits that served me well as a student are going to serve me well in this new role and then the the lack of reality around it kicks in and it usually is, we learn it the hard way right? yeah it's a gut punch that's how we learn it yeah i think situational leadership and self-awareness in different scenarios is really important because you're right you can't you can't apply a one size fits all to every single situation you're in it's just it's just not going to work um i would say you know i was just talking to a neurosurgeon the other day uh, on my podcast and you know i was like you're human and so I'm sure you make mistakes, but that margin of error for you, I mean, the consequences are, are so big. And, uh, and he was saying it is. Uh, and so you want to be prepared, but like doctors are, are human too. They have emotions, they have burnout, they need to manage themselves. And so he's like, we, we obviously have very high standards uh, and we want to check our doctors and making, make sure they're doing okay. And so I think if you have something like literal brain surgery, um, then you want to pull out all the stops, right? You want to make sure that you're doing everything you possibly can. And maybe even, you know, we were talking about that point of diminishing return. Maybe that's further for certain situations. Maybe you have to move that. It's like, okay, this is actually important. Um, you know, I obviously am not a brain surgeon, but I remember, doing um, a deal, it was an acquisition, and it was a multi-million dollar acquisition for us. And so I was putting some pieces of that together. And if, if I made a mistake, that could have consequences for our financials, but also for the people. So depending on the, on the numbers we came up with, certain people would have to be laid off. And so I was like, I don't want to get this wrong because I don't want to you know, lay off people who don't need to be laid off. And so I was like, let me go through everything. Let me shut off my email and actually, you know, not 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 uh, be a perfectionist, but like lean into that side of things, right? And then in other scenarios where, um, hey, we have a fire drill, like the our the server went down, our our customer sites are down, everyone's going crazy. It's like let's move with intention, right? Let's move with urgency, and we need to we need to figure this out um, with product rollouts. For startups, I've been a part of those uh, a lot. It's this it's this concept called uh, MVP or minimally viable product. So not all the bells and whistles, not everything built out, not everything perfect. It's like what's the core product? Get that out to market and then get feedback and iterate on it with uh, from there. And so all of those different situations, you need to apply a different level of thinking and criticality and. Uh, perfectionism or excellence to all of those different scenarios. So I think being aware, hey, it's not a one size fits all. And let me just do like a quick mental check or a quick sanity check. Am I am I applying the right level of uh, of of thoughtfulness and prudence here? Yeah, yeah. And I think that speaks to being selective about where you're putting your attention and when something warrants more precision. Uh, more higher quality than something else. And so in the examples that you shared, I'm thinking that, you know, obviously the most extreme example of somebody's doing brain surgery and then also what you're talking about, I want to protect people's jobs. To me, that's where the mission kicks in, right? And there's almost like short-term benefits to stress of it allows you to yeah. focus. It gives you that adrenaline to, to push through any fatigue or, and yeah. just really, but I think that's different from, I'm doing this to prove myself. I'm totally, doing, totally. Right? 
I'm doing this because if I don't, somebody's going to think I'm not good enough. It's more of like, no, I'm driven by this mission and I can, I can handle this extra stress for a limited time. And I think right now we are in an environment that requires so much extra energy that we were never intended to have the, the sustained levels of stress that we operate under on a regular basis. For sure. I think there's a matter of there's, there's chronic stress, right? Which is, which is bad. And then there's these kind of bouts or, or quick bursts of healthy stress, which is absolutely like we have that for a reason and it can be used to our advantage. And so I think in terms of energy management, it's like, okay, um, first of all, how do I play the long game here, right? My job is to stay in the game. So my job is to show up the best I can for as long as I can for as many people and as many areas of my life as I can, right? And so if you look at it through that lens, you know, how much energy should I give this meeting that I'm in right now? Okay, someone is going off and they're being super stressful and they're being a little bit aggressive and antagonistic toward the work I've done. Is that worth it for me to you know, engage with them at the level they're engaging or internalize a whole bunch of that where it's like, you know what, they're having, you know, something, they're having a bad day, right? Everyone has a bad day. This is not about me. This is clearly about something else that's going on. And let me just call it for what it is and then keep that, keep that boundary there. So, you know what, I'm going to choose not to take this in. I'm going to choose to preserve my energy and use it over here in my one-on-one with this team member who is having is having trouble with this project and is stuck and I can help them get them unstuck. And that's my job as a leader and that would also serve my mission of of serving others and creating an excellent environment. So it's it's um that is much much easier said than done or at least it was for me, right? So when we have these patterns and these habits that are like deeply ingrained to the point of being blind spots, where it's like, I don't even, I don't even see that I'm doing that, Emily. Well, I, I don't even, I didn't even know that I was doing that. Um, I worked with my coach and they would point these things out. And I was like, oh, like, are there different options besides like running yourself into the ground to prep for a board meeting? Like, that's a thing you can do. Oh, you can prepare like half the amount of time and show up better. Okay. So I would say, you know, my my coach helped me with that. Just see the blind spots or give me perspective. But I think um, knowing that you will very likely have to change something you're doing now, and that's going to cost you something, right? It's it's the sacrifice. It's not going to be comfortable at the beginning. But again, for that long term game, for the long term, uh, who are you going to be? And what are you going to be about in a year? In five years? In ten years? Are you going to spend the next 10 years doing what you're doing now and getting the same results as you're getting now? Or are you going to be willing to change something and potentially get different outcomes? Mm, That's such a powerful question. And I think about when you say there's a cost to change, right? There's also a cost to not changing. For sure. Sometimes we get so focused on what we're going to lose in the short term that we don't think about the longer term calculation. And so to your point, right? Like maybe I'm going to experience some discomfort. Maybe people will even evaluate me differently because they are used to me in a certain way. But what are the costs of sustaining this over the long term, right? And which is more important to me? I think there's, you can say, what are the opportunity costs? So what am I giving up by by choosing this? And then there's also 
also the way to say like the positive version. So the affirming version. So it's kind of like if you're going on a diet, don't say I can't have this and I can't have bread and I can't have carbs. Um, you want to say the positive version, which is I get to have a whole bunch of healthy food that makes me feel really good and energized and helps me think clearly. I can have as much, you know, vegetables as I want. I can have any fruit I want. Um, I can have, uh, you know, a, a certain level of sweets, you know, once a week, whatever, like say what you can have and say what it does give you and the positive. So it's not, uh, it's, it's, a, yes, it's how you frame it up. It's not, oh, I'm, I'm limited. I'm restricting myself. This is so hard. It's like, no, this is awesome. This is freeing. I get time back. I get mental energy back. I get emotional bandwidth back. How amazing is that? You can sleep again. Yeah, I know I get sleep. Yeah. I feel rest. Oh my gosh. I had such insomnia when I was, you know, I would go on this hamster wheel and you said you got up at 2am. I couldn't fall asleep. So mm-hmm. once I fell asleep, I was usually good, but I would I would stay up and just be thinking about stuff. And of course, the next day I would be low on sleep and um, short with people and just, you know, not be thinking as well as I could. And I think everyone knows maybe on the weekend when you get to sleep in and you feel rested and it's like, what is this? This is amazing. I could, you know, I could do anything. I'm unstoppable. And so being in that space is just, uh, it's just um, setting yourself up for success. And it's also, you know, you're showing up better for other people. So that goes into the whole self-care thing, which um, is talked about a lot, but a lot of my clients are like, Emily, I can't, I can't do that. I can't rest. Too many people are counting on me. I'm like, you're right. There are a lot of people counting on you. So let's, let's run through this. So if you're, you know, on low sleep and you're jacked up on caffeine, caffeine and Red Bull, and you're like bleary eyed because you haven't seen, you haven't been outside for a week. Um, you know, there's, there's that version. And then there's the rested, healthy, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking this job is important, but I also have other facets of my life and I'm balanced in that way. Which one of these people is going to be serving their team best? Which one of these people is going to make quality decisions? Um, which one of these people would you want making a decision about your career and your livelihood, right? So it's it's putting yourself in good position to, to be a good decision maker and to show up for the people around you the best. That is a great way of framing that. And, and I'm curious if you have thoughts on this. Um, obviously, if this were an easy question to answer, we wouldn't be in the situation that we're in today. But you've worked for some very big, competitive, successful companies. What responsibility or opportunity do companies, and of course, com- companies are just collections of people, right? So we'll say leaders have to be aware of this, to try to intervene in some sense, because what I'm thinking about just having worked in a competitive company myself is it's really hard for me to say, I'm thinking of the person that says people are counting on me, right? It's really hard for me to say, okay, I'm going to take care of myself when I see everyone around me grinding themselves into the ground and thinking like, who am I to, to sleep when my boss and all my peers and everyone else isn't sleeping? Like that feels selfish or that feels like I'm not keeping up. I'm not as committed as the people around me. And I'm watching all of these people who are burning out and that almost becomes the standard, right? And I feel like I'm, I, I'm cheating my company if I'm not behaving in this way. You're more committed, if you're doing that, you're more committed to the company and to the team um, for all the reasons we we just mentioned. But yes, I mean, I think it's a good question. I think it's a fair question to ask, you know, 
as as someone who has been on the executive leadership team, part of me is like, I want people to work hard and I want, you know, I want to get far and I want to do that. I want to get there fast. Um, and so people need to, to be firing on all cylinders. Um, and I think that absolutely goes hand in hand with creating an environment in which people can perform their best work for the longest amount of time. So I've seen, I've been part of plenty of teams where the model is churn and burn them, right? So you squeeze everything you can out of someone. And once they're like a dried up carcass, you just kind of like discard them or you let them, you know, quit on their own because they can't handle it type of thing. And that is a model. It's, it's a bad one in my opinion. Um, but it is, it is a model. Um, I think that it is okay and perfectly acceptable for companies and bosses to expect you to work hard, to expect you to, at the very least, put in an honest day's work. It doesn't have to be your life mission. It doesn't have to be your pinnacle of a job or career. But if you're signing up for this job and you're getting paid for it, um, then then it's fine to, to ask a certain amount of your people. I think giving them the tools to do that, so learning opportunities, growth opportunities um, are, are big for people. I think not expecting them to work 16-hour days and not expecting them to work on the weekends, all, all weekends, is, is important. But I've had times where I've had to rally the troops. And it's like, hey, we have this big project or we have this big deal coming through. So for the next two weeks, I need someone to volunteer to work later so we can get this through. And people will raise their hand because they know it's the exception. They know it's asking for a purpose. They are invested in the outcome as well. And so that's much different. But I think you can have both, right? It's not an either or. I think you can have, we work hard here. That's part of being on this team. We work smart. We take care of each other, but we work really hard. And at the same time, I'm going to I'm going to meet you halfway and I'm going to make sure that you have the tools and environment and the flexibility when you need it and when you can have it that you that you deserve as well. Yeah, I think that's a really great way of thinking about it is because I think most people would like to think of themselves as high achievers with a purpose who want to feel like they're doing good, important work. And so it's that and you can still take care of yourself and you actually perform better when you aren't working 16 hours a day, every single day for years on end. And I love that your example of, and then in the moment when we need to, we are available mentally yep. and physically, right? You have capacity. Yes. Yeah, yes. Exactly. Oh my gosh, Emily, this is such a fantastic conversation. What am I missing? Anything I haven't asked you that you think that you think about? No, you've asked some really good questions. You've covered some big ones. Um, what else? I would just, you know, for people listening, I would just take inventory of, uh, of where you're spending your energy. So sometimes it's not about time management, it's about energy management. So where, where am I spending my energy? What, what helps me show up at my best? So that, that list of criteria is going to be a little bit different for each person. There's, there's the classics like sleep and, you know, eating well and hydrating and all those things. But what helps me show up at my best is a good question to ask and then have, have the courage and the fortitude to act on that. It's great if you think about it. It's great if you write about it in a journal, but at some point you have to act and you have to have the courage to do something different and do something that's slightly uncomfortable and do something that you're going to be wobbly at and not perfect the first 
time or the second time or third time or fourth time and just and just getting into a place where you're okay with that and not only okay with that it's kind of exciting and you're looking forward to it because you're creating the person you're going to become you're defining who you are and you're getting to like etch etch that in into stone and and craft that and so that to me is um part of what being human is all about and so that's what we're meant to do we're meant to grow and learn and explore and try to become the best version of ourselves. And so if we're just staying stagnant and running in that hamster wheel, we're, we're not doing our purpose as a human almost in, in some ways. And so just finding your way to, to, uh, to enhance yourself and to be a person of excellence in that way, I think does take a lot of courage, but take that moment to let me actually take some time to think about it. Let me take inventory of what I have going on right now. And then what will it take to get me to that next level and get me in position to show up at my best? Mm. Yeah. And I come back in my mind to what you were saying earlier too, about don't frame it in a negative, frame it in a positive. And so if you have to have this conversation with your manager too, instead of saying, gosh, I really need sleep and you know all the negatives, right? Which maybe they're not going to be as empathetic too because of their own lack of sleep, but I'm at my best when, right? Like I really care about this and I want to be able to make my, my best contribution. And that might mean that tonight I just need to get a good night's sleep and I'll be back in the morning, right? And it could even be, you know, you don't even have to go to like how many hours of sleep. It's like, hey, um, tying it to something your manager cares about, right? Like this project that is important for our team, you know, I have, I want to be a hundred percent for that. So I'm going to make sure that, you know, I'm, I'm doing the things I need to do this week to give you the highest quality work. And so you're going to see me tomorrow at whatever, 8 a.m. And I'm going to be going through this, this, and this part of the project. So just tell them like, you know, I'm, I'm wanting to do a good job. I know this is important and I'm going to put myself in, in position. And then if people have, if people have detailed questions, you can certainly answer those, but most people won't if they're like, oh my gosh, Kim is super invested in this project. Like she is, she is showing up and she is a rock star. Like she has all these ideas and she's super efficient. So I think that's, that's the way to go about it too. Uh-oh. Uh, this is so fantastic. I'm so excited that we had this conversation and I want to wrap up by asking you, how can people find you if they want more of you? <laughs> yes. So uh, you can go to my website, which is kind of the hub for all the information. It's www.nextlevel.coach. So next level, all one word, dot coach. You've got links to uh, my podcast, Leveraging Leadership, my books, um, which talk about some frameworks on leadership, and then some free, free downloadable resources as well. So nextlevel.coach. Thank you so much, Emily. And thank you for all the great work that you're doing. Yeah, thank you, Kim. It was it was a real pleasure being on. So thank you so much for having me. Thanks so much for listening to the imposter syndrome files. If you would like to continue this conversation in a safe and trusted space, I would love for you to join my virtual discussion group every Thursday at 12 p.m. Eastern. For the past several years, the group has been limited to women, but it is now open regardless of gender to anyone who is interested in exploring and troubleshooting common workplace challenges, building better awareness of ourselves and others, and becoming more inclusive allies at work. Check out the show notes for more info on how to find us. And please join us next week for another episode of the Imposter Syndrome Files.